Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden. You're listening to part one of episode 182, where I'm chatting with Terry Conlin. She's the mom to four grown children, one of whom is 23 and was diagnosed as being on the autistic spectrum. She's here to provide some wisdom, perspective, experience, and hope if you're a mom who's walking a similar road with your child. And for you friends of moms out there, the ones that you know, you know your friends struggling, but you don't know quite how to help, I hope this episode will give you a little insight into the struggles she's having, the hard places, and the ways that you can be a support to her at this time. God, you made the stars, you made the lightning, and you made my child, every little toe and every little fingernail and every little eyelash, so you have to know what's going on here. Even when we don't know, even when we can't change it, maybe. And so, um, but I needed that desperately, not like I need every Sunday. I need to wake up every day and be able to face the day. I, I used to, maybe irreverently so, kind of joke that maybe God had looked away, not just in the making of Mac, but also in then giving us our youngest daughter 15 months later. So, by the time we were figuring out Mac's diagnosis, I had a newborn and two older ones, but God knows all of that. And while that doesn't change what your day looks like, it helped me come at it knowing all things were in God's hand. With statistics like one in every 42 boys and one in every 189 girls being diagnosed with autism, there's a good chance that you, the mom listening, you've been affected by this disorder, or you may be a friend or a family of someone whose child has been diagnosed. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Terry is going to bravely share her story. Uh, We also are not offering clinical advice. Neither one of us are therapists or clinicians. We're going to offer hope, centering, security in the midst of the shaky world of not knowing what's coming. Terry has worked her way through into the adult years with her son She's still, you know, learning and growing just like we all are as moms, but she's being honest. She's sharing her heart here. She's sharing what has helped her to remember who God is in the midst of things that she doesn't understand. She's going to talk about the impact of the diagnosis on her family, on her kids, the sibling interactions, how she and her husband went to grief therapy for a while, how their kids went to counseling for a little bit. And I wanted to make sure, y'all, that I mentioned in the show notes for this show and in the show notes for two weeks ago, the show on anxiety, I have added links to several different Christian counseling websites uh, and centers, some of whom that offer Skype counseling or online counseling. So if you're looking for help and you didn't know where to go, I know for me, uh, it was getting that phone number that was a barrier to entry and then making the phone call was very difficult for me. So if that's you and you're wanting counseling, you know you need counseling, but you don't know where to start, go to those show notes at godcentermom.com and make sure you find something. And one more business thing. Thank you all for your huge support of the GCM live event. It's always a little bit nerve wracking to put yourself out there and you did not disappoint. We have sold out the tickets, which I know has made some of my friends a little sad. But the good news is we are recording 
that conversation between myself and Cat Lee and Winter Pit. So you'll still be able to listen in on what we talk about. It'll go live mid-November, so you won't miss out on that. I also, another thing I don't want you to miss out on is the Discipline That Connects course by ConnectedFamilies.org, Jim and Lynn Jackson. I've mentioned it a few times on the show, but maybe you haven't heard me talk about it. Uh, If you sign up now, go to GodCenterMom.com backslash DTC for Discipline That Connects. You can sign up until October 31st. And once you sign up, you have access to it forever. Uh, And it's moderated all the way through mid-December. But they aren't taking signups after October 31st. So make sure you take that step because you won't regret it. You can work on your own timetable from the comfort of your couch with your spouse, without your spouse. There's six sessions that help you work through, you know, why are we doing this approach, first of all? And then the four messages, you are safe, you are loved, you are capable, and you are responsible. And then it gives a lot of different examples of how do these messages play out in our daily interactions with our kids, the situations that make us sweat and get stressed. Uh, It's a great great resource if you're looking for a new way to parent and to direct your children's hearts. Definitely check it out. Go to godcentermom.com backslash DTC. And if you do sign up, make sure you let me know via Facebook message so that I can add you to our private Facebook group. There's some of you have already done that and you've been talking to each other and keeping each other accountable. I think it's so fun. So great. All right, let's get to my conversation with Terry. Here we go. Hey, Terry, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm very thankful for your wisdom and perspective because, oh man, in four years of doing this podcast, I've had many, many moms reach out to me who have children with special needs, all spectrum of special needs, but then specifically autism with the high rate, uh, unfortunately, of autism internationally. Uh, There are a lot of moms out there who are are having a hard time that even just internally, they're having a hard time with this diagnosis, uh, then in the dailiness and all their relationships. So I've been looking and searching for a mom, uh, who could, who could come on and just give some hope, give some Mm. real tangible experience. You've gone through this before. And so thank you for being brave and sharing your story with us and, and being that person. I'm happy to do it. I I always tell my husband, I'm not an expert. I don't want anyone to think I have all the answers. And um, I'm sure no one expects that. But um, it's comforting to think, you know, I can just share what worked and maybe didn't work for us a bit. And hope was the thing that I really needed. And um, this was the thing that really shaped my faith. So I'm hoping that that'll be an encouragement for somebody. So give us a little backstory of your family. Tell us, you know, your husband's name and introduce us to all of your kids. Okay. Um, I've been married to my college sweetheart. His name is Mike for 32 years. Uh, We met at the University of Texas at Austin. We were resident assistants together. uh, So that was fun. I was studying architecture and he was a pre-med student. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're from Texas, but we live in the Pacific Northwest now, and we have for 28 years. We have four uh, mostly grown-up kids, two girls and two boys, ages 21 to 29. 
Um, and we have two grandbabies. I call wow. them the one. Yeah, I call them the wonders. <laughs> I like to say I'm in all the seasons right now because yeah. my my oldest two are married with kids. Our youngest son lives with us still, and um, our youngest daughter is getting married right after Christmas. So um, we just really are in all the seasons. That's I don't know what else to say. Yeah. So is it your youngest son that has been diagnosed? Yes. What is his diagnosis? What was yes. the story uh, of how you found yourself in this situation to be able to speak to us today? Yeah. Um, it's my youngest son. He's third in in uh, the lineup, if you want to call it that. And um, he really had a typical first year of life. He was a robust baby and met all the you know, the milestones for, for everything, for eye contact and tracking and, and height and weight. And he was portable. I like to say <laughs> he slept well. Um, he just eased right into the family. And whenever I question that, I go back and remember that we spent about three months in Philadelphia, way on the other coast while my husband was doing some training there. And he just, you know, we didn't have a car. We went everywhere in the stroller. He slept in a new bedroom. It really was a typical first year. I mean, and I'd had two other typical kids. So I, to me, we were just like going right into baby number three. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was already pregnant with baby number four. So I could have missed some clues. But when I remember Philadelphia, I know I didn't. And then after his first birthday, my mom commented that he, she thought maybe he was losing his hearing. Hmm. But his behavior was telling us he didn't he didn't want you to be touch him. He didn't want to be snuggled. Uh, bedtime became a big battle. His behavior just, you know, he would want to run away from you and at the park and at the mall and at church. And there were real clues that we just something is going on here. My pediatrician, bless his heart, was so, so great. And he said to me one day, I you have four kids and I see that the kids listen to you and um, you're consistent. You don't say one thing and then not follow through. I mean, it was actually very healing for me because I I thought mm -hmm. I was failing as a mom. I thought I forgot how to mother or something. Yeah. So Mac, and I'm that's a name that we're going to use for him yeah. um, whenever I write about him and whenever I talk about him. He's 23 now and he had an opinion about that and I wanted to honor him. He would like to be able to tell his friends when he's ready and whatever friends he chooses, that this is a diagnosis for him. So I'm going to be calling him Mac. And um, that's just, uh, I was so thrilled to talk to him about that and make sure that I didn't <laughs> write yeah. or come on and talk about him using his real name. So, And I told um, you, that I think that's really great to model that for any mom listening who does write online or is afraid to write online uh, mm -hmm. to come up with a pseudonym is that's really a very honoring and respectful way, but still to find the healing that you need through writing uh, and to help others through your mm -hmm. ministry. So I love that. So, so Mac. Yeah. So, yeah. So my pediatrician, and I, I guess I didn't realize how much I needed to hear that because we would, you know, going to the doctor, which you do a ton in their early years was very stressful. We'd go into the waiting room that worked pretty well but it's waiting. And then they send you back to the small room, which is, you know, <laughs> it just, I think he felt 
very enclosed and it was more waiting and he didn't really know why he was there. And so it usually didn't go well. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it mm-hmm. didn't go well about simple things. You would, you know, there's a little feet on the scale when you go into the pediatrician's office. So when the nurse would ask him to be weighed, there were feet there so he he could get that prompt and hop up there and be weighed. And he could be still for that amount of time. But as soon as she said, hop down, turn around and back up, underneath this, uh, you know, measuring stick, he would just hit the floor and she would sort of look at me like, okay, mom, what are you going to do? He's, he's not cooperating. And it took me a, quite a while to under, to realize that he, he's not understanding multiple, mm-hmm. um, instructions in a row with no visual prompt. So there were things happening at the pediatrician's office that were showing us, but, um, the word my pediatrician used was pervasive developmental disorder, which is yeah. a pretty big umbrella, but it's basically telling you there are parts of his development that are pervading him as he's trying to move through stages. There are big holes. You can't just gloss over them. They're going to need attention. So he was the first one to tell us that that he thought that's what it was. So after that, we had to go, you know, to a lot more testing um, and evaluations to get an official diagnosis. And I will say that's the hard part and the good part. You really want to know what the di- the true diagnosis is, but they will start with the least big, yeah. <laughs> severe, yeah. and yeah. move through them. So we started with ADHD and, you know, they checked his hearing and they checked his eyesight and that just doesn't all happen in a day. Mm-hmm. So, um, Patience was the name of the game there and just kind of walking through these, I don't know, hoops, it sounds like a negative word, but you really are trying to walk through ever narrower and narrower hoops so that you can see. And sometimes it's more than one thing, unfortunately. They could be dealing with more than one thing. They checked his speech. They checked, did he understand a language piece or a sensory piece or a communication piece? That was, he was... mm, maybe 15 or 18 months when we, wow. we were, we were, it was close that's to young. after. But that's yeah. young. I mean, I, I used yeah. to be a speech language pathologist and yeah. it was often three-year-old, if, especially if it was the oldest child in the home mm-hmm. where they were starting to notice speech and language and reception being different than their peers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at 15, 18 months, that, that is, that's young. That's helpful to him. Helpful. Yeah. Hard for you, but yeah. helpful for him. Yeah. Probably by the time he was two-ish then, uh, we had a school, like a, a early intervention kind of evaluation. Yeah. And that speech and language pathologist did say on first glance, it didn't look like a language thing. He spoke. He never he wasn't, he wasn't a nonverbal. Okay. He wasn't nonverbal and he never quit speaking. He never started speaking and then quit. He didn't do some of those very more typical, you think of things that signal maybe autism. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these kids are really smart. They're smart in different ways. And so mm-hmm. she, she sort of went through her testing twice and figured out he's guessing. When mm-hmm. I ask him to put the two blocks side by side or one on top of each other or, you know, green next to blue or whatever, if she got a little more specific, she could see that he was guessing. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't know this. <clears throat> My degree's in architecture, as I told you, not 
not child development, not yeah. speech and language, that receptive language delay was one of the first uh, sort of kernels we got out of the testing. Um, most children get their receptive language first, and then yeah. they get their expressive language. So he expressed fine. I mean, age appropriate. Um, he but got his he, needs met. Yeah. Yes, but he mm-hmm. was not understanding a lot of the world around him. <laughs> I laugh because, you know, he he was put into a large family <laughs> with yeah. a lot of words and school is a lot of words and church is a lot of words. And so once I understood that, plus the little scenario I told you at the pediatrician's office, I could really put those two things together and go, okay, now we're not just talking about naughty behavior where my child is refusing to do what an adult is asking them to do um, because I learned, let's, let's ask, let me bend down and ask him to hop down and he would do it. And I said, and now I use my finger and go in a circle to show him I want him to turn around. So I learned to really break up my instructions mm-hmm. and let him do a piece at a time, make sure he understood that before I moved on. So mama here had to slow way, way down, mm-hmm. <laughs> both in what I said and what I was trying to accomplish in a day. We did find out early but his behavior sort of forced us to. If you have yeah. a much more compliant child or a quieter, I'm happy to sit in the corner and not run away. <laughs> um, right. It might take you longer. I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel bad about that because it it looks different. I mean, we just had a child that, uh, yeah, I couldn't have him running away in a parking lot. I couldn't have him, you know, <laughs> being out of control at church. So uh, we really were forced to admit that something something more was going on here. How did you deal with that, um, that diagnosis? Like you said, you want a diagnosis, but when it comes, the yeah. weight of that, when it finally, it wasn't ADHD, it wasn't a hearing right. problem. It was something, uh, and, and, and timing-wise, I know your age, because... <laughs> You're good friends with my good friend. But around that time, there weren't as many resources or there wasn't community. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't um, as many moms out there to talk through this. So you don't have the community that's available now. Yeah. Well, like I said, I really thought – so there's four years between Mac and and my oldest daughter, and I had miscarried twice in there. So there's a gap there. And I thought – I really have forgotten how to parent. <laughs> mm. uh, like, how did I do this before? Maybe I'm just tired or think, I don't know. So I did a, I did some self-blame, which um, is easy to say, don't do that. But I really did look at what I could do differently. I really wanted to hear anything but autism. Because mm. back then, I mean, he's 23. So back then, it was less hope-filled I was, we, we knew it would be lifelong. You know, you, you just don't know what their future is going to be. I probably, it just touched on all my fears, all yeah. my fears for him, us as a family and parents. Yeah, I really, I, I really didn't want to hear that one. It was sort of, and they, they take a long time or they did back then to bring you that one. So it sort of lurks in the background and you just don't want to hear that one. So it does help to get these smaller pieces because it's something you can address. Receptive language, we could work on. Sensory integration, we could 
work on. You know, the big umbrella of autism was less clear how you worked on that. But I'm also revealing that I'm a doer. Yeah. And I wanted something, you know, I wanted to know what I could do. And so while that's helpful on the one hand, it's really not <laughs> when um, you, you can't fix this. You can't fix it. You can't maybe change all of the outcomes. And that's why I say it really shaped my faith. It really, I thought I had a pretty solid faith before that, but nothing shaped it like like that, like something you can't change and you're desperate for and there's no community for and it's your biggest fear <laughs> and you live it every day. There's no, there's no uh, stop and let me kind of get up to speed and work through grief and take care of my family. You know, it just life keeps going while you're trying to figure that out. So. And I love that you said grief because yes. it's a loss. It's a. Yes. We always used to say you uh, imagine a planning a trip to Paris with your spouse and you're going to Paris and the plane lands and you get out and it's Holland. Yeah. Holland's, you know, still great. There's windmills and tulips, <laughs> but your expectation was Paris yeah. and there's disappointment. Um, I told that to one mom recently and she said, uh, more like Iowa. It's like getting off the plane <laughs> in Iowa when you thought you were going to go to Paris. Uh, it's a lot, lot harder Yes. expectations. And like yes. you said, um, back 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of therapy or hope that a child would be functioning as an adult. And so, yeah, there's a grief of a loss of a dream for that child. And so how did you stay focused on God and put your faith in him in the midst? I know one gal on Instagram said, how do you do that when, you know, maybe your child's severe on the spectrum and is hitting you and kicking you and spitting right. at you and physically violent? Yes. How do you not stay in a fearful or angry place? And I have to say, Mac did all of those things. When you said land at a new place, I thought the Sahara. <laughs> yeah. This, this burning wilderness. hot, dry, yes, mm -hmm. where there isn't water. And so I really did, and, and this might not work for everybody, but I, I camped in the Psalms quite a bit. I had to stay connected to God's Word because I read Psalms 97 this morning talking about God made the lightnings of the world. I mm -hmm. needed to stand on things like that because God, I knew He could count the hairs on my head. I knew he was tender with me, uh, but I also needed to know he is so expansive that he can handle this. And so if I'm tucked in to his arm, then together we could handle it. So I, a lot of camping out in the Psalms, believe it or not, Psalm 139, which I more had used for the happy parts of how God had made us right. <laughs> before this, just the fact that God shaped us inside and out, that he, he knew us before we had a day on the earth. You know, he knows every bone in our body inside and out and all the days before we have them. I claimed that for Mac and for us as a family. He knew that as a child that I knew he loved this child and, and wanted a hope and a future for this child. I would go back to that quite often and say, okay, God, you made the stars, you made the lightning and you made my child, every little toe and every little fingernail and every little eyelash. So you have to know what's going on here. Even when we don't know, even when we can't change it maybe. And so, um, but I needed that 
desperately, not like I need every Sunday. I need to wake up every day and be able to face the day. Um, and, you know, it's taken me a long time, but to be able to actually flip it around a little bit and start to think about God making Mac the way he made Mac for a, a reason and a time and a purpose, not just it was an accident or he looked away for a second. I, I used to maybe irreverently so kind of joke that maybe God had looked away, not just in the making of Mac, but also in then giving us our youngest daughter 15 months later. Mm. So by the time we were figuring out Mac's diagnosis, I had a newborn and two older ones, but God knows all of that. And while that doesn't change what your day looks like, it helped me come at it knowing all things were in God's hand. Um, you still have to grieve. I mean, he was probably five before a psychiatrist, which is a whole nother world to enter with your five-year-old, but um, said, you and Mike have grief work to do. And we just mm. looked at her like we didn't know what she was talking about. So we were busy doing all the things with diagnoses and therapy, but we weren't attending to what you said was the loss of dreams and the disappointment of how it was rolling out and you know, our sadness over what his future would look like and how fractured he made our family while we were trying to understand him. Did you go to a counselor yourself for that grief? We did. Um, We went to um, a marriage counselor and um, I'm, I'm all about them, but I have to say, Mike and I are both doers. So the counselor at the very first session said, I don't want to hear one more thing about what you're going to do. I want to hear how you feel. Mm. And there was just silence in the room because we didn't deal with how we felt because to us, it was more important what we were going to do. But that was trying to kind of leapfrog over the feelings, which is why I say I go back to Psalms because in Psalms, People tell God how they really feel. They, it's not all beautiful in there, mm-hmm. and it's desperate. And it, there are verses that talk about it was more than we could handle. I mean, Paul talks about that. So that I, I quickly debunked that idea that God only can give you what you can handle because <laughs> this was clearly beyond us. So yeah. we were either weaker than we thought, or this was bigger than we thought, yeah. or actually that little you know, thing that people like to say, um, isn't really true. And I decided it really wasn't true because we needed God more than we ever did. And that was the whole point (laughs) for us to get closer to him. And it, it would take things that were bigger than us, but we did have to talk about how we felt dealing with real feelings about what you're afraid of and, and what you think you can't offer them. And, and how sad you feel and how alone and how dazed and confused, you know, bewildered. I mean, that's just the best word, just not knowing where to start, who to call. It's not like you pick up the phone the next day and there's a place to go. There wasn't then. So I gave myself very small um, goals back in those days. I'm just going to, I'm going to make one phone call today to someone. I don't even know who it's going to be. And amazingly, you'd make one. And even if they weren't what you needed, I learned to say, and so do you have a recommendation? And I just would, once I got started, because I'm the doer, 
I would make 10 phone calls, but my mm-hmm. goal was just to make one because maybe that was all I could get to. And maybe, you know, I just needed small goals um, so that I could feel like I wasn't overwhelmed. You mentioned the impact on your kids and your overall family. And, mm. you know, we were talking about the marriage and you needed grief therapy as a couple and mm-hmm. super helpful. Uh, so many statistics about families with children with special needs and impact mm. on the marriage and the home. How did you deal with the stress uh, that that having Max outbursts or whatever added to your family dynamics? Was there anything practical or tangible that you could share with a mom who's feeling that same stress right now? This was tough, but I really had to slow down my life, hmm. which which now I love a slower life. But then part of how I was dealing with this was to not have a very slow life. Um, and, you know, you want to do your kids have they have school and they have friends and sports. And that's I wanted that go to the pumpkin patch. I wanted to do all that. But we really did have to slow life down um, so that it was doable. I couldn't go from activity to activity to activity. It made for chaos, which it can do. But but Mac in particular couldn't do that. He just he needed breaks. Stamina, I would say for him anyway, building his stamina um, for errands, for school. I always say he had to learn how to just literally go to school, <laughs> not yeah. do the work there, just learn to go there. <laughs> yeah. um, but slowing down helped quite a bit. I felt like it didn't help me because it made me step out of a lot of things that I felt like God had gifted me in and called me to, and I got a lot of joy out of and probably identity. So slowing down, I, that won't be popular, but it did help me um, help our family. We did a lot of dividing and conquering. And I don't know if that works for everybody, but we were sort of forced to do it. You have four kids, a marriage, a husband who's working. We just literally had to say, okay, you take these two and I'll take these two. And I wanted my other children to be able to not, well, I didn't want them to resent Mac because we couldn't all go as a family to the Christmas concert and hear them sing. And so we had to explain to them sometimes, look, we all want to be there. And so sometimes we tried to go, but someone would be in the lobby with Mac. Um, or we just decided, let's just let dad go this time. And you can go out for ice cream afterwards. And you can he can have his eyeballs right on you the whole time. And no one's going to have to go to the lobby. And mom will do it next time. We can think that we're ruining our kids' lives, that they have to put up for that with that. But I, I do think it built compassion in my children. It built patience, you know, mercy heartedness for that kids struggle. I mean, when we finally started looking around, we realized there are kids in my typical kids classrooms who are struggling. They may not be on the autism spectrum, but they may be sensitive or have sensory integration. And I think it helped my kids realize not everyone can take loud, boisterous, singing, you know, sit still. We were much more grace-filled, I think, after that. But we divided, we slowed down, divide and conquer, um, take breaks. So if we wanted Mac to do something, um, I had to sort of adjust, 
Like I would want to go on family vacation and have it be electronic free. <laughs> and, and his psychologist said, okay, but, but that you're just asking him to have no, he organizes the world that way just mm-hmm. to be on a Game Boy or to be on some kind of electronic, he, he organizes his world that way. Why don't you say we're going to go on a canoe trip and afterwards you can have that? Mm. Or we're going to go to lunch and afterwards mom will come back or dad to the cabin and we're going to have quiet time and everyone else is going to go on a canoe ride. So it helped me be less rigid, and but it challenged my dreams of what our family life would look like. Mm. For sure, that's part of the grief. And that's what I mean about divide conquer. It, it could be that it just, it isn't all, wasn't all six of us doing everything together, mm. which is maybe how you envision it. So we did some... You know, and there were sometimes we had to deal with the fact that we really wanted to go to that. I wanted to go to all the kids' concerts or whatever they were doing. We weren't always able to do it. And they seemed to understand. I mean, they were witness to his behavior. So um, they also didn't want to be embarrassed. And we had to talk about that. We're never going to ignore it if it's a behavior problem. But we're also not going to have unrealistic expectations of what he can do at this point. He might be able to do more later, but. Did they ever communicate as adults? Because I think for a lot of moms who are in it right now, they do have those same fears you had. I don't want them to um, not appreciate their brother and I don't want them to feel like they missed out. And and yeah. you're saying all the positives that came out of it, the mercy, the grace. Right. Realizing it's not all about them. But did your kids ever communicate to you? Oh, man, I wish our childhood had been different. Like, why? Why did we have to divide and conquer? Why did we have to do it? I mean, or is that just all they knew? Uh, no, they a couple of times. I can remember them saying, you know, why does Mac always have to do that? It's an honest question. Why can't yeah. he just go and, and let me, you know, we did send each of the kids to a counselor on their own. None of them really kept on going, but we wanted them to be able to say whatever they wanted to say and not worry that. They were going to hurt mom and dad's feelings or they were going to forever scar Mac or that it was just going to be a selfish comment. And so um, we did that probably as they were going into junior high. Just, you know, and I think they looked at us like, oh, my gosh. But knowing the parents they came from (laughs) who don't typically just jump right into this is how I feel. We just wanted them. And and we had been in counseling long enough by then with Mac to know that. There are, we have fears we don't say to anyone. And, and if we're not saying that to God or in therapy, they, they get to be way bigger than they should be. So um, we did do that. And, and, and most, they all came back and said, well, that was fine, but I don't need to keep going. But we offered it. Yeah. And I think that was important. And we listened when they were upset or um, wish we could all go. Uh, we let them say that. I mean, we let them say it's not fair because it wasn't. I mean, to what you were expecting, it wasn't fair. To have that freedom for them to be able to. Yes. Yeah, that's great. That's Yes. Yeah. And we did some protecting when they had friends over. Maybe we went and did something with Mac because he didn't always enter people's play very well. And so in order for them to have friends over. We didn't hide him or anything, but for, for, for them to have friends over and not be disruptive, you might do this with lots of little siblings, but we made a point to do it so that they could have friends over and, you know, play and not have someone come in and take away all the controls and, um, not understand they can't do that. This is, 
your siblings having friends over. So it depends probably on how verbal they are and how much they understand. You mentioned you mentioned slowing down your life. And I know for some people that maybe aren't doers and goers that are more prone to home or maybe their child is so severe that leaving the house is not an option for them. Leaving their child or their children with a babysitter is not an option for them. And they're feeling very alone and isolated. Perhaps even church isn't a place where they can find refuge um, and get a break because there's not a program for children with special needs. And they're just feeling really isolated. What advice can you give them? Did you ever have that feeling where oh my none of my friends understand what we're going through yes. or I don't I don't have yes. a place or because you had to give up those things that fed you identity? Yeah. Um I did get a mentor, cried my eyes out in um my women's ministry director's office. Uh because basically, you know, Mac was doing very poorly when I was trying to go to Bible study. Mm. So I, what I felt like was they're about to ask me not to come anymore mm. <laughs> and, and bring him and, and it's going to break their hearts, but it's going to kill me. So a little bit, I would, I would get out before I, before they actually had to say that to me. Like, I'll break and up with so, you before I, you, you know, break up with. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I knew they loved me and that's so I'm in her office crying and she said, I, do you have a mentor? I'm bawling my eyes out. Like, no, I have, no, I have nothing. <laughs> Who had, you know, she said, I want you to have a mentor. She just challenged me on the spot. I want you to just name someone right now. And I actually, God gave me the name and it wasn't a woman I particularly knew. And it was kind of surprising I could give her name. And she just said, I want you to just call her and see if she will meet with you. Now, nobody talked about how hard it was going to be to meet, but I did mm-hmm. it. I'm, I was, I just thought I'm, I'm going to do it. She said, yes which, you know, is another thing. What if she says no? She said yes. And, um, and really I could barely get out much on the phone. It's a very, very vulnerable thing you're doing is asking for help from what feels like a complete stranger, but I knew her to be a woman of faith and a woman of prayer. And, uh, I, I just, her husband was a psychologist. I guess there were a bunch, bunch going on in my head. I wasn't maybe aware of, but we just would meet at night. I would wait until Mike got home from work. We met once a week for a long time. And and it wasn't, uh, we always prayed. We were always reading books together. She just did a lot of listening, a lot of listening and just, she couldn't fix it. And that's not what a mentor does. A mentor doesn't fix your life, but they certainly hold a lot of your pain. She would encourage me to talk to Mike more about how I was really feeling. And she would tell me, you're a stinker, Terry, because you're not, you're telling me and you're not always telling Mike the rawness of it. And Mm -hmm. so she called me on some stuff, which again is what a mentor should do. And she did it in love. It wasn't that I wasn't talking to Mike. I wasn't sometimes telling him my deepest fear about, you know, parenting Mac and how we were going to survive it and how is this affecting our children and a mentor. I just, that was, that helped me quite a bit uh, because I was stepping out of a lot of community. Um, I would get up in the dark and run up this big hill near my house and back before Mike left for work and the kids got up. Um, And trust me, I was tired. (laughs) I was emotionally tired and physically tired. But if I did that and just like, it was maybe 20 minutes, I could come home and just have the physical feeling of, okay, 
I'm going to be able to do breakfast. So I sort of, I, I needed that to do a physical thing and then a sort of friendship mentoring mamahood thing. Um, and I, I mean, I had friends too, but, um, Again, I wasn't really telling them. It is the stinker part of me. I wasn't really telling them he's hitting and spitting and, you know, Do you think that's, running away. I know for me, it's hard sometimes to admit there's pride in it. Um, there's also, you are protecting your child. You don't want to speak about them. Um, mm-hmm. You want to make sure it's a safe person. But what do you think it was yes. for you that, with your friends, that didn't have you sharing how hard it was? I think it. It was in large part me. I, this is why I did it with Mike. I wanted it cleaned up, whatever it was, mm. before I talked to him about it. Or, mm. you know, I wanted the tantrum over and then I could tell him about it. But if I was in the throes of it, now he's a physician, so sometimes he was in the OR. You right. literally couldn't talk to him <laughs> about it in the moment. And then later, and I really hated to dump that kind of thing on him it, when I knew he still had you know, six patients to see or two surgeries, but I did have to learn how to not overprotect him either because we did get to this place where I think he maybe didn't always know how bad it was for me or what a day looked like because if I cleaned it up before he saw it, how would he know? So uh, my mentor challenged me and and you want to do this with your husband. I mean, unless he's unwilling, you want to... You're in it together. And so um, I did a little bit of both. I tried not to just, you know, in the middle of what I knew would be like a kidney transplant, tell him that, you know, Mac was out of control. But I wouldn't let days go by. Right. I would say, I mean, you know, I hate to dump this on you when you walk through the door, but this is what life was like today. You know, and I think for sometimes he thought if he were home earlier or home more he could fix it. And it it wasn't that kind of fix, if I'm even using the right word, you know, it, because I heard that as he needs more attention or he needs more of you. And I was just felt like I was giving it all. But um, I, I think, you know, it's easy, maybe easier for me to say it now because I learned how to do it, at least be willing to try to share more if you're not a sharer yeah. um, or, um, pick one friend who's safe or go into the Psalms. I mean, it is nice to go to God first. So true. I agree with Terry here. We need to get these feelings out. It's always good to go to God first, but find a safe person. And I hope our conversation has spurred you on to find those people, whether it's a mentor or a friend. Stick around for part two, where I'm going to ask Terry more of your questions like this one. How can friends help? I had a lot of gals give questions wanting to know what's the best way to support someone like yourself uh, through that season? Because sometimes when when it's something we aren't familiar with, we're more afraid to jump in because we don't want to offend or we don't want to add extra stress. Or we'll sometimes say this happens with grief in general. You lose someone and someone says, well, just let me know how I can help. Well, that just added another burden. I know I have to come up with a way for you to help me. So what are some ideas that were the most helpful that friends did for you? In part two, Terry will also uh, answer questions about how to facilitate friendships for your child who has autism 
how do you know the difference between a symptom of autism and a behavior needing discipline, and how to help your teen who's going through puberty and also has symptoms of autism. All those questions answered on part two of my conversation with Terry Conlin. Stay tuned. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.